Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. This episode of Systematic is brought to you by Reclaim Me, data recovery software for all occasions available for Windows, Linux, and Mac OS file systems. Find out more information at reclaimme.com. That's R-E-C-L-A-I-M-E.com. And by Tax Expander, communicate smarter. Visit smilesoftware.com slash systematic to find out more info. My guest this week is Sal Segoyan, known as the AppleScript and Automator guy at Apple for 20 years and now heading up the upcoming Command-D conference. How's it going, Sal? It's going wonderful, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate the effort and the contribution you make to the automation community. Thank you so much for that. The honor is mine, and that's very flattering to hear you say that. Um, for people who who aren't familiar with you, uh, which within my circle is kind of unfathomable, but for the larger audience, where did you come from? Uh, My story is not a very linear one, and it's uh, been one of those stories that is a collection of shorter stories. I've been many people and lived many lives. Uh, My father was in the military, and as a result, we traveled quite a bit and moved quite often. So I'm not really from a place. Other, I'm from an experience. I'm from a genre more than a place. I never had the hometown cafe, the hometown bar. I never had a hometown. And so I grew up on naval bases you know, everywhere. I even lived in Guantanamo Bay. I was there during the missile crisis. And so I don't have a a from uh, my current life began when I got into computers by mistake. I uh, bought a a used Mac from uh, this guy that had repossessed it from somebody he loaned money to. And I was living over a bar in the Pocono Mountains at the time. And I taught myself how to use the computer and got into it and realized that there was a career and caught the wave of the desktop publishing boom. And that got me into computers strictly as a a side thing. My main role was a musician. I have a degree in music from Berkeley in Boston. And I've been a musician since I was 16 years old playing country dive bars in Virginia. (laughs) So... I got into computers by mistake and it just happened to be that they paid more money. And although I had friends who made it in music and made achieve fame and notoriety, uh, that wasn't uh, my destiny. And so I followed, uh, eventually followed the path and got hired by Apple in 1997. And that started uh, over a 20 year career. But it really, the, the whole concept of automation, the, the topic that I'm, I'm most known for, began in 1993 when 
I was working in a print service bureau called Pixels in Charlottesville, and I had ordered a developer CD from Apple for this new thing called AppleScript. And it was an English-like language that could control the action of the computer and the applications on it. And uh, I remember Quark Express was scriptable, so was FileMaker Pro. And my first script I ever wrote was for Quark Express, and it was set the color of the current box to blue. (laughs) And once I ran that and I saw that box turn blue, I knew my life had changed. And I fired all my clients and just worked 13 hours a day to teach myself this whole concept because I realized a fundamental principle that has stayed with me is that the power of the computer should reside in the hands of the one using it. That the person that has the computer should be able to do what they want with it without having to go to the extremes of, you know, becoming a programmer. Yeah. They should have all the power at their disposal. So you went into, like, when you started writing AppleScript, did you have any programming background at that point? Absolutely none. I was a musician, a jazz musician. And, <laughs> you know, uh, there are some people who are both. Yeah. It, <laughs> half of Apple is musicians, yeah. actually. You it's, know. A, it's a common trait among uh, coders and tech people. Same side of the brain. Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, I got into it. I, I, I just saw the, the potential. Up until then, I had been like doing a lot of beta testing for Quark Express extensions, which were add-ons to the Quark Express page layout application. And I knew all the developers, and I had written a book on it. I used to do speeches on it. I used to do trade shows about Quark extensions. And... When I had the ability to script, then all of a sudden I didn't need a third party to do something for me. I could do it myself. I could create the kind of tools that solved my problems in the way that I needed them solved. And that was liberating. That was absolutely an incredible, empowering and liberating experience. And I just proceeded on that course of, of devouring that and spreading that information and using that. And for a long time, I was just a hired gun. People would, corporations would call me up and they'd say, look at, um, you know, hi, I'm AT&T and I have a 50 page document and I need to change every occurrence of AT&T to this font. I need the size the ampersand to fit between the two t's and has to be this color of pantone and so i would write a script for them and you know send it off or i wrote scripts for better homes and gardens uh, just about every big company you could think of that was in the publishing vein and some of the media companies as well so you were like the typography cleaner like the guy they call in after the uh the, uh, what movie was uh, there was a Quentin Tarantino movie where they call in the cleaner and I feel like that was kind of your you were the guy I was a, I was a solutions guy yeah. a solutions provider was the term Apple used to use in those days yeah. 
And a solutions provider is the guy they go to after their, their standard procedures fail them and they're up against the wall. And then they turn to somebody and say, can you do this? And then you start writing the scripts for them. I remember one case in particular, I think it was Philip Morris or a division of Philip Morris, was uh, planning on getting rid of their Macs. And they needed to retrieve files off of them. So they had been unsuccessful in developing software that could find everything that they needed and get it, rename it, move it, Windows file the file structure and move it off. And so they came to me and they asked me if I could come down to Richmond and write them a script that would do this. And so I went down there and I sat there in the room with like 50 machines for about an hour. And I came up with this script and I'm running the script and I'm just watching the screen just flash back and forth as it's doing, you know, 100,000 operations. And the vice president comes and stands next to me and is watching this machine just go on fire. <laughs> and then real, yeah, I looked up at them and, and you could see in their face that realizing, oh my God, this is the machine that we're getting rid of. I didn't <laughs> know those were, that was on the machine, you know. Yeah. But they got rid of their Macs anyway and uh, then they eventually came back to them, I think, somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have multiple questions that popped into my head while that last section happened. Uh, jumping back, you said the uh, power of the computer should reside in the hands of the one using it, which has kind of been, uh, I, I've heard this in various forms from you before. So what, what you described when you said, uh, like when you first turned that box blue and, and you realized that this was, this was how you wanted to use a computer, that the operating system could be uh, molded to your needs. That, to me, describes the personality of what I consider a power user. I am no longer sure that I understand what Apple considers a power user um, when they talk about, you know, the new, this current line of machines, just it doesn't care about power users anymore. To me, that's more about the operating system than it is about the hardware. Um, so I'm not asking you to define Apple's version of a power user, but what do you consider a power user? A power user is somebody that expects more than the standard interface can do from the computer, that wants to do more. They can see they need to do more or come finds themselves in a situation where they say there's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah. And then they look for that solution. That's a power user, the person that actually looks for the solution and takes it on. And I've seen power users that have a variety of personalities and are many different types of people. They could be somebody in a production line at a media company at a computer station that just goes, you know, I can't take doing these 50 things anymore. I'm going to pick up this scripting stuff and I'm going to try this out. And they create a solution. And then the next thing you know, everybody in the department's using it. And the next thing you know, he's writing solutions for the entire group. And then 
you know, she may leave the company and then they hire her back at three times the salary to write the same kind of <laughs> things for them. But it's usually people that are motivated. They aren't programmers. Rarely have I seen that the power user is a programmer. They're just people that want to get something done and they want to do it themselves. Yeah. Now, there's a common thing when people discuss Apple and like you say, what is Apple's concept of a power user? The awareness of the company as an entity to those kind of people has changed and morphed over the years. And it basically comes from an accepted norm within the management levels and awareness levels. Over 20 years at Apple, I dealt with some management that was very enlightened about automation. Uh, you know, when I dealt work, when I, when I worked with Steve, he was very aware of the power of automation and its role within the operating system and the necessity of it, of it being there and being robust. And many times Steve and I would have conversations about automation and he was always an ally and I could bring, uh, issues up and you know he would mediate arguments between myself and other managers over you know getting things automated or not and i would not necessarily win every argument but steve considered it important and he provided the resources so that we had engineering teams working on that all the time and that with each release it got better and better and many times he would take the automations I was working on and put them on stage as, as examples. So at, with him, there was a, a collective awareness of automation and power users. Uh, not every manager is that way. A lot of managers don't have the personal experience of, of having worked in a production facility and don't understand you know, why you need to automate something or why it's important. And it's not because uh, that type of manager is not a good manager or not a, a good person. It's just that their personal experience didn't come across that. So sometimes you get enlightenment and sometimes you don't. So whatever forms that general consensus of what a power user is, is really based on all these different factors about uh, how the management works, how the marketing works, and the feedback that they're getting from below of whether they're open to it or whether they're not open to it. So sometimes Apple can be very on top of what a power user is, and then sometimes they can be totally oblivious. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it's like any large corporation. Yeah. Okay. I, I, okay. I don't want to jump too far ahead. Uh, while you were at Apple for the 20 years, you worked on basically everything in the automation technologies department, which includes like Apple script services, terminal configurator and automator. Um, the, uh, automator was your kind of creation, wasn't it? Uh, automator was uh, an incredible 
story. Uh, it's not known well. It's not known in the public. But Automator was uh, the product of a Two people, collide, two icebergs colliding out in the ocean. Uh, Eric Payton was working on a pipeline architecture for the command line. And Tim Bumgarner was working on uh, an Apple script pipeline architecture. And uh, Todd Fernandez was the manager at the time for the automation team. And we got together. It was uh, Todd... Uh, Eric, Tim, myself, and with a good dose of help from Chris Nebel occasionally. And we basically created this app that would be, you know, the power of the Unix pipeline, but with a visual interface and a simple way that people could use. And we worked on that for, oh, over a year. And it it was really challenging to... uh, to make it a reality, uh, no executive wanted to own it. We went from different executive to different executive, to different executive, and they all had their ideas on how it should look. And so we, at one point, had a menu bar, a menu option in Automator where you could switch the UI between <laughs> like six different things to look like GarageBand, and then it would look like this, and then oh, the other no. thing would be on this side, and then it would be palettes, and then be one window. And we couldn't get anybody to take ownership because none of them really understood what it was. And this goes right back to your to the, the statement before. So it got to a point where I uh, basically sat on the floor outside uh, a, a room in Building 3 that was the demo room where Steve was reviewing uh, content for the upcoming WWDC. And I sat there outside the door of this uh, room from like 10 o'clock to like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And I refused to move until Steve could see me or would see me. And uh, it got to be like 5.30 and then they were done and Steve said, you know, is there anything else? And uh, a friend of mine in the room said, well, you know, Sal's got something, he's right outside. And they said, okay, well, uh, what do you got? And so I went in the room and there was, there's no windows in this room. I had been in that room many, many times before. Product managers <laughs> knew it and feared it. But so there's basically one table with an iMac, two chairs, and nothing else in the room. <laughs> and all the executives, I won't name the names, but they're all there. And they were standing against one wall. And Steve and I sat down at this table and I showed him automator. And So I had at this time, my favorite demo was I would uh, go to a website and the website was a family website with pictures and stuff. And there was thumbnails and you would click a thumbnail and it would show a larger picture of the thumbnail. Right. Right. So I wrote this automator workflow and it would find the larger images, download them to your computer, put them into a new album and iPhoto, then take the albums and create a new DVD automatically. 
right? Yeah. That was my thing. So I, I'm sitting there with SJ, and I'm, I start off on my thing, and I'm 10 seconds into the presentation, and Steve goes, stop. And I just went, oh, my God, that's like a year and a half <laughs> of effort. And I went 10 seconds and he, and he starts talking to himself. He goes, OK, so you got this on the left and that's writing because you want horizontal and this needs to be like this. And he goes, OK, these things here, what do you call these? And I said, they're called actions. He goes, and what are they? I said, they're Xcode projects. He goes, so you go down into the frameworks? I said, yeah, exactly. And he goes, do you talk to the apps? I said, yeah. He goes, you use Apple events? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it goes, OK, and you probably want this sideways because you're going to be stacking these things and you're going to need the vertical space. OK, go. So in... <laughs> In 10 seconds, his brain was so fast that he looked at what we had, totally grokked it, understood the architecture behind it, and why we had laid it out the way that we did. In 10 seconds, he figured this out. That's how fast Steve's brain was. So I, I continue on with the demo. And then during this process, Steve says, impressive. And I never heard, I've been in that room many, many times, and I never heard Steve say impressive. And so I, I finished the demo, everything goes good. And we're sitting in swivel office chairs, right? And Steve spins around and he looks at the executives and he says, so what's the question? <laughs> and it's total silence. Nobody says anything because they're stunned. They didn't realize that this was going to be a thing. And it's total silence. And then Tony Trujillo in the back of the room says, I don't know, but that's the answer. And so then Steve, uh, I won't get into the other details, but, you know, it's like a shark smelling blood in the water. Uh, he starts pushing on these guys and, uh, and then he came up with a name. There were some arguments over the name that they wanted me to use. And he goes, no, it's called Automator. So he comes up with the name instantly. And he turns to Don Lindsay, who was the head of UI at the time. And he goes, I want robots with this hand gesture. <laughs> Meaning I want a robot icon, right? And Don, there was a rule that Apple icons could not have personality. They had to be two inanimate objects, like a loop and a, and a picture or a pen and sure. a paper yeah. pad, right? And he wanted to have this robot. And Donna goes, but Steve, and then Steve just gives him the eyebrow, and that was it. So within like 30 minutes, there was already icons coming in of, of what eventually became Auto, the icon. And so Steve turns to me and he goes, do you want to be in the show? meaning the upcoming WWDC. Yeah. And I said, sure. And so we went from being this project, to answer your question, we went from being this skunk work project between these really talented engineers to being in the operating system and featured on the stage at WWDC in one afternoon demo. Wow. And that's how Automator was born. Well, that in a year and a half of development. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, that is, that's amazing. Thank you for that. I story. still have a bunch of patents for Automator. I think we all do. It was like we didn't know what to do with all the different <laughs> patents. So I got assigned a couple that I, I can't even remember what they were for. But So uh, this is probably a dumb question, but uh, Automate Auto, the robot, is holding 
I think it's uh, the case that architects carry blueprints in. No, it's a pipe. Oh, it's just a pipe. It's a pipe symbolizing the pipeline architecture. I was I was overthinking it. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So what happened to your position at Apple? Uh, well, I was told that uh, my position would no longer be supported. And uh, that means that they did not consider it necessary to have that role anymore of uh, product manager of automation. Okay. And so I was free to find, you know, whatever other kind of work I wanted to do within the company. And, uh, you know, there was different opportunities for sure, but my focus is on automation and has always been on automation. And, you know, sometimes companies have different focus and they change and things like that. But it doesn't mean that automation is any less important or less critical. It's a fundamental, you know, it's something, if you ask any business, what are the most important things that they are looking for? They'll tell you two things. First is security. They, they, need, they need security for their data and their clients and everything else. But the second is automation because automation gives them speed, accuracy, consistent output, and the ability to scale. If you don't have automation, you can't exist in a competitive business environment. So that's a fundamental principle of using devices. And that's not going to change regardless of the what the current belief is or design is for what they should be paying attention to financially or resource-wise within the company. Companies, uh, customers and companies need automation. And it's critically important to Apple internally and externally and every customer of theirs. Automation is important to them as well. you know, it, automation can be is something that it, it's, for example, uh, you know, if you have iPads in a hospital setting and those iPads are being used by patients to keep track of their information and everything, well, there's automation that runs to reset those iPads automatically when the patient's done with them. All that's done with automation. When you have an executive that's reviewing data and sales and and heavy integration with uh, heat mapped charts and things like that, those charts are developed using automation. Anything dealing with SAP is automated. All the financial records are automated. Uh, if you're going to master a track for iTunes to put it on the store, you're going to use an Apple script called uh, it's part of the master for iTunes uh, automation toolkit. And you can download that from Apple's site. But every automation pervades everywhere you go in every field. And it's a fundamental. So whether there is a uh, an official product manager of automation technologies at Apple or not, that's not going to change the fact that automation. I can tell you that my focus is on advancing automation, and that's why uh, I've been working with Ken Case and the engineering team at Omni Group to develop like a next generation strategy for automation that is 
works both on Mac OS and iOS. And we have Omni Automation now where you can write a script in JavaScript and it executes on the Mac and it executes on your iPad. And for the first time, I've been able to see iPad, my iPad Pro just scream and do incredible stuff that it couldn't do before because it finally has the ability to automate. So my goal right now is to advance automation and, and it's by working with companies like Omni and by uh, hosting the Command D conference so that we can give automation a voice and we can talk about what it is, what it, you can do with what's available today and where it can potentially go in the future and give that a voice and the notoriety that it needs. This seems like a perfect time to talk about Command D then. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, a conference for uh, about automation. Uh, what else would you say about Command D? Well, it, it's for everybody. Uh, is it for uh, the total geek power user? Is it for the guy that automates everything? Is or just for somebody that's interested in automation? Somebody that's a newbie. It's for all of those. Even if you're the most jaded automation type person, you're going to find something new at this conference. Even if, if you're new to automation, you're going to get a lot out of this conference as well. And we also have the day before the conference, we have a scripting boot camp with Ray Robertson from uh, Scripting Matters fame. And he's doing an all day all, literally an all day uh, class and uh, program on, on learning how to script. So it's a great way to get up to speed. And Ray is one of those people, man, I, I can't talk highly enough about Ray. He is just the nicest man and he's so easy to learn from. I've taken many classes personally with Ray and Shane Stanley when they had scripting matters and he's methodical and encouraging and he's just a great guy to learn scripting from. So we're going to have that, and then we're going to cover the realm of what's out there today. Okay, what are the traditional things like the triumvirate on, on Mac OS of JavaScript for automation, AppleScript, AppleScript Objective-C. We're going to look at Automator, and I'm going to talk about the inside tools that, that nobody talks about in Automator, like workflow variables, and how it can be used to manage iOS devices. And then we're going to have some uh, <clears throat> people speak on on using automation tools that don't require any coding, you know, like Hazel and some of the other great tools that are out there. And then we're going to be talking about workflow. We're going to switch over to iOS. We're going to start talking about the workflow app. And then I'm going to be doing a whole section in the afternoon on uh, the new Omni uh, automation that for both Mac OS and iOS so that people can become aware of this new thing and the potential that that has for becoming a solution across the entire operating system. And then we're going to close out the afternoon with uh, John Pugh from the original AppleScript team is going to give a talk. And John is a personality that is larger than life and that should be really entertaining and then in the evening andy anako is going to host a uh, automation slam where the attendees get to show off their best 
automations quickly. And then after that, uh, we're going to close with a podcast from Jason Snell. Six, six colors. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a full day. And it's in Santa Clara on August 9th. The, the scripting boot camp's August 8th. And it's for everybody that is interested in automation, that wants to advance to automation, that wants to be, be part of the automation community as a whole. I, uh, I will be there. I, I would say there, there's still three weeks left. <laughs> Airfare's not that bad. Uh, I, I would love to see all of the nerds show up for this and all of the people who aspire to automate. Like you said, there's so many people that can benefit from it in professional and personal environments. Uh, it's a necessity. So yeah, this, this is the, the, the only, uh, uh, one of only two conferences that I was super excited about this year. And I'm really glad I'm going to get to attend this. Excellent. Excellent. That'd be fantastic. You're just the right person to be there. And hopefully it becomes a yearly thing so that I can speak next year. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I I love that. Well, you know, maybe uh, my life has been guided in a good way. And maybe it was meant that, you know, I, I... move from Apple into being able to do this kind of work that I'm doing and to advance this. And maybe we can make this a, a regular thing because the automation community needs a voice. They need to be recognized and their needs need to be addressed because they are the same primary needs that every user has. And you can't write an app for everything. There's such a difference between what an app can do and what a script can do. And it really, things need to be made more granular. And you know, I'll ask you this, but I'm getting a sense now among many of the people that I talk to in the computer community are getting back into this do-it-yourself type mode of, well, how can I tinker with this to get it to do what I want to do without having to write a bunch of code and submit it and have it approved and blah. Yeah. And I'm sensing that there's a revival of this type of thought of, I just want to create a solution that does this. And you see things like if then, then that websites like that or Zapier or, you know, different things where they're trying to put together these solutions. Yeah, I mean, like Zapier and IFTTT basically are trying to solve the same problem that AppleScript originally did, uh, uniting disparate uh, sources of information and and services in a single kind of a language, a pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're right. uh, Like apps, apps themselves are becoming more what I would say opinionated. Uh, They've learned that. The more options you offer users, the more problems everyone's going to have. Uh, customer support gets out of hand, so you're getting more and more uh, kind of restricted to what they decide is best, which is an absolutely respectable stance to take. And mm-hmm. and honestly, it's a stance that Apple's kind of uh, known for in general, just not providing so many options that they can't control anything. But right. to me, extensibility is a primary reason I would I would get into 
I would make any app a part of my workflow as if it's scriptable, if it's uh, storage methods are not uh, sandboxed in a way that I can't share data between applications. If all those are met, I'm fine with simpler apps that I can then mold to my needs. You know, I have this uh, way of thinking about uh, Apple. I call it swimming with the whale. For like 20 years, I imagined that I was in the water next to this big whale and that the whale's swimming along. And at any time, the whale can just like knock you over, or hit you with a flipper or whatever. And my challenge was how to swim along with the whale, how to align myself with the whale to solve to provide the whale with what it needed, but at the same time solve the needs that I had is at the same time. So I was always looking out for the automation community. So how can I take the direction that the whale's going in and adapt my stuff to provide, you know, f- support to the whale, but at the same time forget from the whale what I needed to advance this uh, this direction as well. And in that regard, I would submit that right now, if Apple is interested in seeing the iOS platform, especially iPads in enterprise, be successful, then automation is an essential component to that success. If you're in a a professional situation where everything's automated, you need to be able to have that same ability on the device, the mobile device that you're using. I need to be able to create some automation processes that I can use with my productivity software on my iPad that do the same kind of things that I could do traditionally on a Mac. And I think that the two are lining up. I think that uh, the... Uh, future of automation is coinciding and swimming along with the the direction that Apple would like to see for their professional use of iOS devices. And the stuff that we're doing with Omni is really proving that. If you go to omni-automation.com and you watch some of the videos and you see the integration that's possible now on an iOS device to automate and interact between applications and web pages and data sources, then it becomes apparent very quickly that these two things are swimming along in the same direction and that it would be definitely uh, beneficial for Apple to you know, focus on automation, that type of automation if they want mobile devices to be more successful in the enterprise. I think the two are co- uh, existing in the same space and swimming along together very well. Well, and I think that's acknowledged by Apple's recent purchase of Workflow or acquisition of Workflow, the app on iOS. Um, I think, th- to me, that, that gave me new hope that they do acknowledge the need for automation, especially since they're with the iPad Pro and iOS 11, they're really trying to make a platform shift, it looks like, and bringing automation to that in a way that doesn't require you to be a super nerd that reads all the nerd blogs all the time. I like that. Right, exactly. 
And but there is a difference between extensions and scripting. Sure. Yeah. The kind of automation that that, that companies rely upon is that granularity that only scripting can provide. Right. And X callback URL is not an ideal interface. No. Uh, that's what's interesting about the Omni uh, approach. And, you know, Omni Graffle is seven. The new Omni Graffle seven is is uh, available, got a, approved. It's in the app store. It's selling now and it has the scripting support. And what Omni has chosen to do is instead of using URLs as they traditionally did, you use URLs with encoded JavaScript that that interacts and then you can take data from a web page. Like I can tap a table on a web page and that table moves right into my document instantly. Yeah. You know, that type of level of granularity has to be there. So you can provide some higher level solutions for automation uh, through maybe extensions or for workflows, but you always have to have that ability to get granular because every company has different way of doing something and a different order every photographer has a different photo workflow every back office process is slightly different so the answer to the 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 challenge of providing a solution for all of your customers is to give them the granularity through scriptability and then let them uh decide what they want to do yeah but anyway, this is all why people should come out to Command D conferences, because these are the kind of issues that we'll be talking about. And we'll be looking at all the different opportunities that you have for automation, each of the different technologies, and a healthy overview of the new Omni stuff as well. Excellent. I, uh, I have multiple technical questions and that I will save for Command G. Hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to you there. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a quick sponsor break right now, and then uh, we'll get to the top three picks. Okay. Sometimes disaster strikes. Data loss can be caused by many things. Accidental formatting, mistaken deletions, driver file system failure, the list goes on. Reclaim Me is data recovery software for all occasions. It's capable of extracting data from Windows, Linux, and Mac OS file systems, It successfully works with both standard storage devices like hard drives or USB thumb drives, as well as with complex storage systems like network-attached storage devices and Microsoft Storage Spaces pools. Reclaim Me is unique because there are no settings at all. All you have to do is select a device and click the Start button. Systematic listeners can get a 50% discount on Reclaim Me. Use Systematic as a discount code when purchasing and get an indispensable tool for recovering data. For more information about Reclaim Me, visit www.reclaimme.com. That's R-E-C-L-A-I-M-E.com. And by Text Expander, one of my favorite utilities for automation on both Mac and iOS, and now Windows. Uh, use Text Expander to eliminate boilerplate drudgery and communicate smarter. Text Expander is perfect for standardizing and improving the written. Re- re- Text Expander is perfect for standardizing and improving the written replies you do every day. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Text Expander can format dates, autocorrect misspellings, and search your collected knowledge with just a few keystrokes. Share with others and make everyone more productive, and get started quickly with pre-made public groups. Try Text Expander free for 30 days. 
Text Expander subscriptions include software for Mac, iPad, iPhone, and Windows. Visit TextExpander.com slash Systematic to start your free trial. Okay, so that brings us to the top three picks. I'm, I'm, I'm told you have, uh, you have three ready to go. So the way this works is we do one pick at a time, and we go back and forth. And uh, as I say this, I'm realizing that because this was scheduled literally yesterday, I actually am short top three picks. So I'm going to play off of yours. <laughs> so I'll say uh, you get the first pick. Well, uh, one of the last purchases I did as an Apple employee was to buy one of the new laptops. And I maxed it out because I was getting my employee discount and everything. Sure. And I'm still getting used to the touch bar and the the way the keys feel and all that stuff. But the thing that I, I, I really enjoy, uh, the power of the computer, I enjoy the clarity of the screen, and uh, I like the, the computer, but one of the things that annoys me about it is the MagSafe is gone. Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times I tripped over that thing and nearly broken that <laughs> thing on the floor multiple times. And so my favorite pick is Griffin's uh, BreakSafe breakaway power cable. That's uh, basically a USB-C with a MagSafe built type thing built into it. And that's from Griffin. And I, I've, if three or four times a day, I will trip on that cable with my big feet, and this will save it. The computer will just stay put, and the cable will go flying someplace, but at least it, the computer will be safe. So that's my first pick is Griffin's Breakaway Power Cable. That sounds like an amazing pick. Um, I, I, ha I, haven't, I don't own... Uh, machine without the uh, MagSafe yet, but that was a concern I immediately had, and I did see uh, Griffin Solution come out pretty quickly for that, probably at the same time. I think they probably had advanced units, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I've picked. I I I picked a theme. Um, I'm going to talk about my own projects because I I want to show them off to you. It's a vanity thing. Plus, they're some of my favorite things. Um, my first pick is going to be a project that I have called SearchLink. And SearchLink hmm. is a way that, uh, say, it's, a, it's an automator service. If you select any text and just hit whatever shortcut key you've assigned to it, it will come up with the first result from Google. Actually uses DuckDuckGo these days, but, uh, and then it will create a markdown link of, of the first result. Um, but you can you can get crazy with it and you can define custom searches and you can search for iTunes apps and Amazon items and it'll automatically add any affiliate code you define to any links that it gets. Um, you can wow. create custom searches that even just to, uh, like if it's for my website, uh, I can type the name of a project uh, with uh, bang BT at the beginning, select it and it'll link that to my site, brettterpshire.com slash project slash name of project. Uh, it is, wow. Yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. It's honestly the project that I've created that I use even more than my app marked. Um, I use it daily. So did you write a custom action or did you use like a run Apple script action and fill it in? It's a, it's a run shell with a mm -hmm. long Ruby script in it. Ah, okay. 
Um, yeah. Have you written any actions yourself? I have. Uh, nothing I've published, but right. I, I've, like, I really want to create good actions. The only app that I would publish them for would be Marked. And currently, because Marked works with a foreground WebKit view, it can't really perform any of the operations in the background. So uh, automating it, it's thus far has not been useful enough in my opinion, to the user. Mm-hmm. I, but yeah, no, I have written actions though. Yeah. Uh, I, I love writing actions. Uh, my favorite, uh, you know, you can write actions in shell. You can write actions in objective C or in Apple script objective C and Apple script objective C is the ultimate duct tape in the whole world. <laughs> it, you have, because it's AppleScript Objective-C, you've access to everything in the Cocoa frameworks. You have access to the command line. You have access to all the AppleScript stuff and Apple events. I mean, you can pretty much create any kind of crazy process that you want done. And uh, I, I was working with... Uh, the new caching server built into um, the latest versions of Mac OS 10, and I needed to make sure that it was on. So I, I wrote my, I sat down and popped open uh, Xcode, and I just wrote it, uh, an Apple script action for doing, you know, is it on? If not, let's try kicking it in and bringing up the authentication dialogues and everything. And it's incredibly useful because you throw it in your workflow, and you don't have to forget about it. And sure enough, you'll go, uh, and you go, oh, yeah, right, I didn't turn it on. And now it turns it on, you go click, and everything's fine. So I always enjoy following up. That's a creative use you have there. I like that very much. Uh, I, as a side note, uh, I have a, a tool I wrote called Bengon that actually it uses, uh, let's see, terminal... Yeah, I have to remember what I even wrote it in. But it checks to see if there has been user input, uh, any any HID input in the last five minutes or whatever uh, you specify. I should make that in action because then you could have automatic automator workflows running that determine whether you're at your computer or away. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That was uh, oh. a weird side. Um, <laughs> what is your second pick? Uh, so... <clears throat> I have uh, my favorite imbibement is nowadays uh, a stash tea. This company called Stash makes a lemon ginger tea that is outstanding. My gripe with lemon, with ginger, anything is that they never put in enough ginger. I like it so that, you know, you really notice it. And uh, Stash has made a great tea. And their lemon ginger, I highly recommend it. It's perfect for the evening or in the morning as a starter in the morning or in the evening when you just want to, you know, relax. Uh, lemon ginger tea from Stash is my second what thing. Is, what is the base? What is the tea part of it? The it's made with uh, ginger and lemongrass and a bunch of other things, but not like a uh, green tea or no, no. Okay, no. I've been uh, I've been making Rubio sun tea with a ton of lemon and ginger, and I just ah. I put it out in the morning, 
drink it in the evening. But, yeah. Yeah. That's it. I ginger can never, there can never be too much ginger in a drink for me. I swear. I think that that is like a miracle, natural element that, that everybody should be imbibing is there's some ginger does something to your body that just calms everything down yeah. and, and makes all the blood flow mm-hmm. it's like a wonderful wonderful thing and it tastes great too have you ever uh, gotten into fermenting ginger like doing ginger ale and ginger bug based drinks no but uh i'm traveling to australia at the end of august to uh speak at the auc uh there and every time i go to australia i will sit in the lounge of the hotel i'm staying at and just drink their ginger ales i just say just keep them coming because they have this extra dry 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 ginger ale there that is just so effervescent you it's nothing like you have in the united states it's like this really wonderful elixir and i enjoy going to australia just to sit there to drink ginger ale that sounds absolutely amazing. I, I, it's bizarre that you picked that. I've been on such a ginger kick for the last four months. Okay, so my second pick is going to be, uh, it's an action extension I wrote called URL Preview, which, so when SearchLink comes back with uh, its best pick for the link, and, and the whole purpose of it is so you don't have to jump to your browser and Google something every time you want to link it. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know with certain URLs if it's actually the right one. And if you're writing like a blog post, you probably want to know that. So URL preview lets you just select uh, a paragraph. And when the little drop down button comes up at the end, you can click that to run an extension, choose URL preview, and it just pops up a tiny little web kit right in the middle of the document you're working on and shows you where that URL is going to go. Ah. Uh, kind of solves the problem of uh, it, it would be silly to have the entire linking process automated and then have to go check all the links in a browser. Right. So, and how do you call up the web view? It uses Automator to use the URL. Uh, actually, now I'm forgetting how I made this. Yeah, Automator has an action that's displaying URL. And the original, yeah. the original one I wrote was actually an Automator action, but I got frustrated that it stole focus mm-hmm. uh, from while I was writing. And if I made it as an extension, I could pop up a custom nib with a web view, and then Escape would just dismiss it, and I'd be right back in my uh, my whatever I was writing. You know, I used to have, uh, I, I had a lot of things that would bring up web views, and I, I wrote them in uh, AppleScript Objective-C, and I also wrote them in the JavaScript for automation. You know, yeah. a lot of people don't realize that JavaScript for automation, there's a pure language to AppleScript. You can write automation, Apple event-based uh, automations using JavaScript, and it goes right into the Cocoa frameworks as well. And I used to use JavaScript for automation to pop up web views that I would create programmatically instead of using a nib. Yeah. And you could just have them show up wherever you wanted and just have them be part of your scripts. And then I put that into a a script library. And then once you have a script library, you can just call it from any other script. And it just became a matter of show me this. And I could add the show me this at the end of any script that I wanted to. And it would just bring up a web view 
there it is and you dismiss it and it's gone have you published this is it on no uh, i actually put it in the documentation i created a 20 minute video about javascript for automation that i host up at uh, mac OS10automation.com. And in the video, I show the example of how to create a web view, web, uh, WebKit view to show an image. And I show you the code and walk through it and explain it line by line. I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, I'll send you the link for it. Perfect. Uh, like JXA has been, if nothing else, doing string handling. Like a lot of the stuff I do is for, for writers. And mm -hmm. string handling in JavaScript is far superior to trying to do it in AppleScript. So, yeah, I, that's that's where I've, I've spent most of my time with it. Uh, shout out to David Steinberg, who wrote JXA. Amazing engineer, nice guy. Uh, he really made a big contribution to the automation community. It just was never really paid attention to never got the documentation and support and push behind it but it is incredibly powerful yeah all right so okay where are we your third pick so you know man does not live by bread alone right so you have to have some kind of inspirational things in your life and uh art is is something that I find very inspirational and I've always enjoyed uh, Van Gogh and impressionists and, uh, you know, Renoir and those kind of artists. But uh, at home, I get inspiration from uh, uh, paintings that I have on the wall of Bert Monroy and they are digital paintings, we'll call them, digital paintings, uh, illustrations of different scenes. The one that I like a lot is uh, it's the headlight on a truck, <laughs> on a pickup truck. And you see like the fender and the, and the headlight, it's one of Bert's works. It was for a truck that was parked down there on the Alameda for a while. And his, his uh, work is just incredible. He has a couple things like Times Square that are 25 feet wide. Uh, there is the one in Chicago where you're on the L. And his work just brings you into a space and, and puts your mind there and takes you away from where you are. And it's just phenomenal what he does. It's Bert Monroy. You can go to BertMonroy.com and look at some of his things. And if you want something inspirational to look at, just getting one of his uh, works and having that on the wall is, is quite inspirational and enjoyment for me. Is and the, that's uh, what I use. Is the headlight you're talking about the uh, blue truck painting? It's the red truck. Red truck. Yeah. I'm just looking at the front page, so I haven't been through all the works yet, but yeah, awesome. All right. Um, I'm going to match you on that one. Uh, Mary Solberg is a painter, and she's actually a friend of mine, and that mm. is, um, that, that's a, a big honor for me to be friends with her because her, her work is, at the same time, um, it's slightly creepy. <laughs> and amazingly beautiful in a good way yeah like her her sense of 
she she did a picture of one of our she did a painting of one of our foster dogs and she took a picture of the dog and then she added a great big set of uh like antlers to it <laughs> because she had seen like we had a christmas picture where the dog was wearing a little like antler headband um it it's amazing and then she has her house is decorated with like chess with uh like a row of like baby doll heads on it and wow. then a whole bunch of kind of bordering sacrilegious like uh mother mary virgin mary artwork and but like go look up her paintings uh they are they're amazing she does a lot with different uh different mediums including uh gold leafing used in an amazingly tasteful way wow yeah, I'll uh, I'll post that. What is your last uh, name again? Solberg, S O L B E R G. Ah. Yeah, and okay. if you uh marysolberg.30art.com, uh you can find a lot of her work there. Excellent. I like the 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 baby doll head idea. <laughs> it caught my attention right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like Toy Story kind of thing when they go into the house of the misfit toys. <laughs> yeah, right? that was a horror scene. <laughs> I don't know if everyone else saw it that way, but yeah. It's totally, totally a horror movie there. All right. Well, that wraps up the top three picks then. Um, let's talk about, uh, first of all, people can find the Command D conference at Command D Conf, which is CMDD conf.com and right. uh, there is still time to get in right mm-hmm. uh, so go sign up for that I'll see you there um, and then also check out uh, a lot of uh, Sal's work at uh, Mac OS X automation.com I know it's OS 10 but for the purpose of typing a URL we will say Mac OS X automation.com where right. else where else would you like people to find you uh, Omni-automation.com yep. is uh, where I'm, I'm documenting the Omni stuff as we're creating it. And uh, I'm trying to put up a lot of videos. And I've been on my Twitter is Mac Automation. And I post up uh, interesting videos as I come across. I've been working on integration with Airtable. They're a company that has databases in the cloud and you can create tables and do interact with their their products. And I figured out how to link between that and using Omni Automation to Omni Documents. So I can tap a field on a table in a web page and have that tag an object in an Omni Graphical document and then run a script there that will go and grab the data, download the image, add the the description and all that other kind of thing. So I I posted that video up recently and I'm I'm interested in uh, discovering these links between data and execution, you know. So that's a great website too. Excellent. I I am super excited about that, the Omni Automation stuff. I also have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a musician. I've been a musician for a long time, since I was 16. Uh, I have a website, salsegoyan.com, that is just all my music stuff. And there's videos and information about my music history and links to my albums, if anybody's interested in that as How well. How did I not know this was here? 
<laughs> ah, a, a Google for you always brings up Mac OS 10 automation. Right. Awesome. I'm, I'm well, you know, there was this. my, uh, like I said, I've been many people and lived many different lives, but music's always been throughout my life. And, you know, that's, that's my big passion is music. I just got into automation because they paid me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you did well with it. Um, all right. Uh, well, I am, I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm at brettterpstra.com, uh, TT Scoff on Twitter and everywhere else. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone at Command D. Uh, and thanks again to Smile and Rescue Me for uh, sponsoring this episode of Systematic. Thanks for being here, Sal. Thank you all. And thank you, Brett. A pleasure. Uh, and we'll see everyone in a week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.